Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. If you're not currently affiliated with a community, church, or synagogue, and would like to be part of the larger Beth Emanuel family, you can apply for long-distance membership at BethEmmanuel.org slash membership. Have you ever walked into Beth Emanuel and asked yourself, what is going on here? Why are we like this? There's a lot of reasons you might be inspired to ask those questions. Even if you're already familiar with Messianic Judaism and have maybe attended other Messianic congregations or Hebrew roots places, because in most Messianic synagogues, you find a pretty conventional Protestant church service, usually leaning toward charismatic, adorned with some Jewish flourishes. That type of experience would not prepare you for what's going on here whatsoever. We've had people from Messianic congregations come here to visit and walk right back out. Why are we like this? What happened? How did we get here? We do synagogue services. It's all in Hebrew. If we don't have 10 halakhically Jewish men present, we skip half the liturgy and don't take out the Torah. We reserve the Torah readings and most of the sanctities for Jewish members. We have a mechitza. We have a kosher kitchen. We don't use amplification on Shabbat, and because of that, I need to shout for half an hour. And because I'm shouting, it creates the impression that I'm either super intense or really angry. So why are we like this? How did this happen? It's possible to attend here for a long time and have no idea what's going on. It's not like that in most churches. In most churches, it doesn't take long to figure out the program. It's not like that in most messianic congregations. In most messianic congregations, it doesn't long, it doesn't take long to figure out the program. But here at Beth Emanuel, you could attend here a long time and have no idea what's happening or why. So again, I ask, why are we like this? I like to imagine how things might have turned out if we had taken the road more traveled. How might the congregation have flourished if, instead of going the synagogue route, Troy Mitchell and I spearheaded a supercharged, souped-up, mainstream, evangelical, Sabbatarian community with mainstream music mixed with a little Jewish flavor, some assemblies of God-style worship songs followed by Bible teaching, informed by a Jewish reading of the scriptures, with a total morning service not to exceed an hour and 15 minutes, and in this imaginary community, we don't really make any big deal about who is Jewish, who is not, or point out the difference, since it's not really supposed to be a synagogue anyway, but rather, it's a Jewish rootsy church. If we had spent 21 years working on that type of community, how do you think things might have played out for Troy Mitchell and me? Do you think we would be struggling to fill the pews on a Saturday morning? I mean, who knows, but... I think that such a venture would have been pretty successful. But we did not take the road more traveled. We took the road less traveled. Or to put it more plainly, we took the road untraveled. If this ever was a road. No one has been on this road since the days of the apostles. And that's why we are like this. Because this was not only a road, it was the road during the days of the apostles. Ultimately, that was the original vision behind the creation of this community. 
to be a biblical community that reflects the type of Yeshua community that we find described in the pages of the New Testament, the type of community that has not existed since the days of the apostles. Inspired by a simple, unsophisticated Protestant-style reading of the Bible, whereby you read the Bible and just do what it says. I know, I know, I know that everyone in the church always says that. Every Protestant church says, we just do what the Bible says. That's always the goal for Protestants, to create a church like the original church. So everyone says that, but they have no idea how to do that because they don't even realize that the original church was not a church. Did you know that the word church isn't even in the New Testament? It's not in the Greek. We aren't completely sure where the word church even comes from. Scholars believe it originates with the Greek kriakon, which means of the Lord, belonging to the Lord, and was originally used to indicate a Christian place of worship, that is, a building. In Latin, it became curia, and then to Old English as kirche, and finally church. But here's the point. The word does not appear in the New Testament. In the New Testament, it's the Greek word ekklesia, which in a Jewish context such as the New Testament refers to an assembly such as the assembly in the temple or a synagogue congregation. The apostles didn't make up the term ekklesia. It appears hundreds of times in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, usually in the context of the term the assembly of Israel, the assembly of Israel. The apostles considered the disciples of Yeshua to be constituents of the remnant of Israel who would survive the coming day of the Lord along with the righteous thanks to their allegiance to the Messiah King. And that's what the word ecclesia meant to the apostles. There is no such word as church in the New Testament. It's the assembly of Messiah, the assembly of God, the remnant of Israel, the assembly of the righteous and devout looking for the consolation of Israel and all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. A Jewish reading of the New Testament of the New Testament makes it clear that the original assembly of Yeshua, which the church refers to as the church, was not a church of Christianity, but rather a Jewish movement of Messianic Jews within the Jewish people, practicing the religion of the Jewish people as disciples of the Jewish Messiah. And they were, they were praying in the temple and attending synagogues on Shabbat and hearing the Torah read every Shabbat and engaging in the prayers of the Jewish people along with the rest of the nation, not as, as a new religion in competition with Judaism but rather as a messianic and ap apocalyptic sect within the greater Jewish people. So, if you want to get back to the first century church, don't go to church. You have to make a synagogue. And that's how we got started on this road less traveled, this road untraveled. If you read the New Testament from a Jewish perspective, it's obvious that the Jewish disciples of Yeshua were fully Torah-observant Jews living out their Messianic convictions within a strict sect of Judaism that, by today's standards and definitions, you would call Orthodox. Let me make that clear. The believers, the Jewish believers in the New Testament, were the ancient equivalent of today's Orthodox Jews. The disciples of Yeshua were not practicing a more liberal form of Judaism than other Jews in their day. On the contrary, it was a stricter form with higher standards.
They would not be okay with Reform Judaism or Conservative Judaism of today, that's for sure. They were what we in today's categories call Orthodox or Haredi. That's the reality. People in the Gentile Church shun today's Orthodox Jews as the modern equivalent to the hated Pharisees, and that's because they have been taught that Jesus and his disciples left Judaism, canceled the Torah, and started the Christian religion under persecution from the Pharisees. It's ironic because if they were to actually meet a modern equivalent of James or John or Peter or Matthew or even Jesus himself, they would shun him as a Pharisee. And indeed, theologically speaking, Yeshua and his disciples were Pharisees because they believed in the resurrection of the dead, the existence of the soul, reward and punishment in the hereafter, angels and demons, etc., etc., Yeshua ate and drank with the Pharisees, moved in their schools, and hung around with them because they accepted him as one of their own. And that is why they also criticized him and he criticized them so harshly. Read the New Testament without the lenses of replacement theology and you will realize that the early Jewish disciples of Jesus were what we would call orthodox. They prayed at the times of prayer. They attended the synagogues every Shabbat. They preferred to pray in the temple at the times of prayer and sacrifice. They kept, the apostles kept kosher. How kosher did they keep? They kept completely kosher. So kosher that they didn't even eat food in the house of a non-Jew, even if it was otherwise kosher food. It took a vision from heaven repeated three times before Peter was willing to even enter the house of a God-fearing non-Jew. So according to church legend, they ate so kosher that when traveling in the diaspora, they adopted Daniel's standards of a vegetarian diet. How strange that Yeshua himself would not be able to worship or even eat a sandwich in one of the many churches that revere and, and worship him. Same goes for the Messianic congregations. They had extremely high standards about things like gender interactions, completely out of keeping with the Gentile world around them. They dressed differently than the culture. They looked different. They followed Jewish tradition. There's no indication that they did not. Whenever Yeshua argued with the sages and the scholars of his day, it wasn't about whether or not Judaism was valid or whether or not the Torah had authority. It was over how to interpret the Torah and prioritize the commandments. They understood, interpreted, and taught the Bible from the perspective of Jewish tradition, Jewish, Jewish exegesis, and Midrash. Therefore, if you want to get a head start on understanding the New Testament point of view, you need to live in an Orthodox Jewish community. Way back in the day, before there was a Beth Emanuel, I realized that this was the world of Yeshua and the apostles, and I resolved to raise my family in that manner. I thought it was absolutely a joke that the so-called Messianic Judaism was modeled after Protestant churches with a little Jewish flavor mixed in, like a kosher deli serving BLTs. But you could not find an Orthodox expression of Messianic Judaism anywhere on planet Earth. How ironic. Not one Messianic congregation where an Orthodox Jewish disciple of Yeshua could practice his or her convictions. That seemed to me like a huge hole in the Messianic Jewish movement. The church is the religion about Jesus, but Judaism was the religion of Jesus. Not just Judaism, but what we call, by today's standards, Orthodox Judaism. 
I understand why most Messianic Jews probably don't want to become Orthodox, and I'm fine with that. I understand that. Believe me. But what does not make any sense at all is that there is no place on earth where an Orthodox Messianic Jewish disciple of Yeshua can practice Orthodox Judaism among other followers of Yeshua. That's beyond bizarre. It's a totally upside down situation. And the consequences of this are huge. It's not only an enormous irony, it's a critical flaw because it's, pre it's predicated on replacement theology. It contradicts most of the teachings of Yeshua and his apostles, reinterprets them, and ultimately destroys their message. It's not just a matter of culture, style. It's not just a preference of one type of worship service, like the difference between country, western, and rock and roll. I mean, by stripping Judaism out of the religion, out of the religion it's not possible to correctly understand the New Testament or the gospel message. The whole religion gets dismantled and rebuilt into a non-Jewish edifice that, although it looks very nice, is far, far away from the teaching of Yeshua and the apostles. All of this is a consequence. So for all these reasons, it seemed preposterous to me that there is no Messianic Jewish congregation that I knew of in the Twin Cities, in the Midwest, in North America, in fact, on the entire planet that is practicing traditional Judaism on the caliber and level of what we see described in the New Testament. And that is why we took the path untraveled, and Beth Emanuel has been on a continual journey to become that place. That's why Yisrael Nahum Nechamich moved here from California, a man who was not really welcome in Messianic congregations because he was an Orthodox Jew, and not welcome in Orthodox Jewish congregations because he was a disciple of Yeshua. So he ended where? Here, in Wisconsin. And here he remains, awaiting the coming of the Messiah and the resurrection of the dead in a little cemetery among other faithful members of the assembly of the righteous and the devout, looking for the consolation of Israel and who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. That's why several other Jewish families in our community came here, not because they like the climate, but because there are no other options. So why are we like this? Don't blame me. I know that people want to blame me, and that's fair. I get it. I understand. But it's not my fault. Don't blame Tzvi Aharon Ibi and his family. I know, I know people want to blame Tzvi, and that's fair. That's totally fair. But it's not his fault. And don't blame the Jewish members of the community either. They didn't start this. The blame belongs to the New Testament, to the original disciples of Yeshua, and to the man himself, the Messiah of Israel, the King of the Jews. That's why we are like this. It's the Bible's fault. And from the outset, we organized ourselves around one key verse. The first description we get of the assembly of the Messiah is Acts 2.42. Acts 2.42 says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the equivalent of the New Testament. And to fellowship. That means the community to the breaking of bread, that is hospitality, and to the prayers, that is the traditional liturgy. But that's not all. There's another reason we're like this, why things are the way they are here. 
If you read the New Testament, you will notice that the New Testament assemblies, particularly those started by Paul out in the Diaspora, typically had a mixed constituency of Jewish disciples and Gentile disciples. That's what all of Paul's letters are about, and also most of the book of Acts, so it's no small point. A majority of the text of the New Testament is dedicated to the subject of integrating the nations into the community of the remnant of Israel, the ecclesia. That's the whole point of Paul's epistles. The church does not understand this. The church thinks it's supposed to be trying to convert Jewish people to join the Gentile church. The church thinks that Paul was trying to get Jews to quit being Jewish. They don't understand that he was trying to get Jews and Gentiles to form communities together. Most Messianic Jews don't understand this either. Many don't even read Paul, and most who do read Paul do not understand Paul. Messianic Jews think it's strange that you would have Jews and Gentiles together in the synagogue. Messianic Jews generally think that the Messianic synagogue is for Jews and the Gentile church is for Gentiles, and that seems to make a lot of sense. In fact, in today's world, that makes 100% total sense. But that's not the way it was in the New Testament era. So, if you're trying to do the first century thing, a first century congregation, a New Testament congregation, according to the Pauline model, it's going to be on the lines of what Paul describes in all his epistles, Jews and Gentiles mutually supporting one another in the body of Messiah's one body with many different parts, different roles, functions, each one retaining their respective identity, male and female, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, united in Messiah. Let each one remain in the state he was at the time of his calling. Was anyone Jewish? Let him not become a non-Jew. Was anyone a Gentile? Let him not become Jewish. That's called distinction theology. In short, it means that becoming a disciple of Yeshua does not make a Gentile into a Jew, not through conversion, not through spiritual transformation, neither inwardly nor outwardly, not through being grafted in, not through being part of the commonwealth of Israel, not through being part of the one new man. Paul's whole ministry is predicated on the idea that Jews should remain Jewish and Gentiles should remain Gentile, and that there is still a difference in role and function within the assembly. Most people don't like that message or idea. Gentiles prefer replacement theology, which makes Jews into Gentiles, or a one-law homogenization, which makes Gentiles into de facto Jews. Jews prefer a dividing wall of separation to keep Gentiles over there on their side and Jews over there on their side. Or, if Gentiles really need to be a part of the scene, put them through a conversion to require Gentiles to become Jewish. We see all of these agendas at work in the New Testament, but the apostles endorsed Paul's theology of distinction. And that's why Beth Emanuel is the way it is. Because we modeled the community after what we read and what we see in the New Testament. Not in, not in Peter's communities, not in the communities of James or the community of the Epistle of the Hebrews, but what we see in Paul's communities, such as those of Titus and Timothy, such as Ephesus and Colossae, Thessalonica, Philippi, and Corinth, where Jewish disciples and Gentile disciples serve and worship together in the assembly. Maybe that was a mistake on our part, but that's why we are the way we are. And that's the mission. Here's how we state that. Here's our mission statement, the Beth Emanuel mission statement. We provide a nurturing community for disciples of Yeshua 
who seek to practice a messianic form of traditional Judaism in keeping with their Jewish or Gentile identity and devotion to Yeshua the Messiah. Now, I realize that's not everyone's mission, and that's not every place's mission, but that's our mission. And if you, if you are a member, you've already agreed to it and said, yes, that's my mission too. If that's not your mission, if you feel like you don't want Beth Emanuel to provide a nurturing community for disciples of Yeshua, who seek to practice a messianic form of traditional Judaism in keeping with their respective Jewish or Gentile identity and their devotion to Yeshua the Messiah, then you should not become a member or be a member. The mission statement works itself out in a broad messianic vision for the good news proclaimed by the Messiah. Here's the vision statement. We want to see the messianic kingdom infiltrate our world so that the world will recognize Yeshua as the Messiah and the only hope for redemption, so that Jewish people will assume their role as a nation of priests, so that all nations will seek God's Torah and submit to the King of the Jews, so that anti-Semitism, supersessionism, and replacement theology will be forgotten so that the knowledge of God will fill the earth, so that peace, health, blessing, and success will permeate our lives. That's a summary of our vision of the coming kingdom, the gospel, and the good news. And as a result of our allegiance to Yeshua and his message, we have these core values. We hold high personal standards without condemning others. We prioritize the weightier matters of the Torah, without neglecting the rest. We avoid harmful and unproductive speech. We commit to daily prayer and study, daily acts of charity, and regular attendance. I hope that sounds like something you can get behind, because there's a ton of work ahead, and it would, be, it would help enormously to have everyone working with us rather than against us or trying to subvert these efforts. So if you find yourself continually trying to subvert the mission, vision, or core values of the community, then it might be time for a little introspection. If you are unhappy here, that's not healthy for you or for anyone else, is it? Why are we like this? Because Messianic Judaism should have at least one place that's really doing Messianic Judaism to its full extent. There are plenty of other churches in Hudson doing church services, and there are hundreds of them, probably thousands in the Twin Cities metro. There are also several Hebrew roots congregations and Messianic congregations doing a much more accessible and culturally Christian version of worship and community. Lots and lots of, lots of those out there. But listen, here's what I want you to understand. The endeavor is not Judaism for the sake of Judaism. If we are doing Judaism for the sake of Judaism, we are trying to reinvent a wheel that simply does not need to be reinvented. Judaism is doing just fine. It's doing Judaism just fine without us. And Orthodox Judaism is doing Orthodox Judaism just fine without us. So nobody should be here for the sake of just doing Judaism. 
You should be here only for the sake of discipleship because, as the mission statement says, it's a community for disciples of Yeshua. That's who we are. That's what we are about. And that's a hill worth dying on because he is the one with the words of eternal life. It's important to clarify these things because at this point, there's starting to be a real cost, more than a social cost, for being a part of this community and identifying yourself with Israel like this. As we stand at the end of the world, when the whole world is turning against the Jewish people and against Israel, it's more important than ever to know why we are here and what we are doing in it. In Pirkei Avot, regarding teachers, it says, Don't look at the age of the container. Taste the wine inside it. Don't look at the wineskin. Look at the contents. The same is true for Beth Emanuel. Don't look at the container. Look at the mission. Look at the message. Look at the vision. Look at the values. May Hashem find us worthy of the name of our Master. May He come speedily soon and in our lifetimes. And learn from it And find rest for your soul